Chapter Nine of Yesterday Framed in Today by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Nine: He that soweth iniquity shall reap calamity. They paced back and forth for several minutes in silence, with David's protecting arm still about his sister. At last he broke the silence. There was a changed quality to his voice. It suggested one who had admitted a new train of thought that was full of meaning for him, but that he was holding himself well in check. Francis, do you know anything of Miriam Brownlee? I have not seen her for many months, but I often hear of her. She is here with her aunt, you know. He gave an involuntary start, and she could feel his arm tremble, but all he said was, I did not know it. Philip saw her last week. He had occasion to go there on business. He says she is as beautiful as ever, and he imagines quite as gay. David, I did not know whether to speak of her to you or not. The brother smiled gravely. You thought you might touch a sore nerve, he said. Francis, who did not know how to reply to that, was silent for a while. But David seemed to have no more to say, so she ventured a question. Do you mean to call there? I think so. One hardly knows how to plan, after a blank of so many years. He waited some time before he added his next sentence. It may surprise you to know that the last time I called at Mr. Brownlee's, he ordered me from the house. David! It was right, he said, answering the indignation that her tones expressed. I could bear him no ill will for that. I ought to have been ordered out. I went there in such a condition that a gentleman who had regard for the ladies of his household could do no less. I had been drinking, Francis. I was not exactly intoxicated, at least I had not supposed so, as you may be sure, but I was more thoroughly under the influence of liquor than I had ever been before, and I evidently did not know how I appeared or what I was saying. I remember his words, however. They cut themselves into my soul." He told me to go home and remain there until I knew how to conduct myself as a gentleman should, that at present I was no better than a brute. He did not know how literally I would obey him, nor how many years it would take. His sister gave a startled little cry. Oh, David, was it on the night that you were hurt? Yes, the condition I was in was the main cause of the accident, I presume though I think the horse would have been frightened under the circumstances in any case. But I might have been able to control him had I been myself. Besides being insane with liquor, I was insane with passion. I understood my condition so little as to believe that I had been insulted. But I long ago exonerated Mr. Brownlee from all blame. But David, he was one of the first who called after you were brought home. He called again and again while you were at the worst, and was most kind and thoughtful for us all. I know. I remember him perfectly. I used to think that he possibly felt some responsibility with regard to the accident. He must have seen that I was in no condition to drive down that dangerous road, certainly not to drive that horse. However, as I say, I do not blame him. I do not know what else he could have done. I have always been glad that I brought myself to the point of seeing him once, when he called, and telling him that I thought he did quite right. I do not think he did right at all, said Frances, positively, 
adding immediately, "'But, David, you remember that he is gone, do you not?' "'Oh, yes. I recall vividly the circumstances connected with his death. It seemed so strange to me that he should be taken in the prime of life, when his business and family and the world at large would miss him so sorely, and I, a useless hulk, a sorrow to my friends and a misery to myself, should be left. We do not understand the ways of our father, do we? And yet we are always trying to plan for him. Mr. Brownlee's absence complicates my embarrassments. If he were there, so I might go to him and ask if he would receive me at his house again, my way would be plain. However, as it is, I think I will venture. One cannot know how the family will feel. They must have known all about the matter at the time. Still, if Miriam is there, I must certainly make the attempt. To do less might even be counted as dishonorable. I do not know how much difference time makes. Can you help me, dear? Do you know anything about Miriam's affairs? At least she is not married? Oh, no! There have been reports from time to time, but each report had her name coupled with a different person, so that I have never known what to think, save what others say of her, that she is fickle in her tastes. I used to think that. Is she in any way bound to you, David? Not at all. If she had been, she would have been freed long ago, remember. Frances wanted to ask more questions, but her brother's grave, sad manner held her back. How much did he care for Miriam Brownlee? Her heart sank within her as she asked herself the question. She had hoped, and at times had believed, that he had forgotten Miriam, or at least that she had lost power to hurt him. On this evening, something in his manner, rather than his words, told her differently. Could there be any real, lasting sympathy between those two? She had not understood the attraction, even in her brother's gay youth much less did she understand it now. She tried to check her unflattering thoughts of the girl, and told herself that she was doubtless prejudiced by what others said, that she had little acquaintance with her, and ought not to judge. Perhaps, if she came to know her better, she would feel differently. But, on the whole, she decided that she would ask no more questions. She did not want David to commit himself in words to any position that had to do with Miriam Brownlee. What he felt he kept in great measure to himself. He had only hinted at the embarrassment of his position. He felt it very keenly when, on the evening following this conversation, he found himself sitting in the familiar parlor of the Brownlee home, waiting to see what reception would be given to his card. Everything about him was as beautiful and as natural as ever. It seemed incredible that a gulf of years had intervened since he sat there before. The Brownleys were an old and aristocratic family. Their ancestry, at least on Mrs. Brownlee's side, dated back so far that only she cared to study it out. And the husband, if not able to trace his pedigree so far, had been able to furnish the means with which to give his wife's pride a beautiful setting. Everywhere, in and around the fine old place, was that lavish expenditure which is, or ought to be, evidence of abundant means. There were no daughters to grace this elegant home. The father, dying three years before the date at which our story opens, had left his young son, not yet of age, prospective heir to a princely fortune. 
He had not, however, forgotten his favorite niece, Miriam, who was the daughter of his widowed sister. She belonged to a home where daughters were numerous, and therefore she was often spared to the uncle and aunt who adored her. Here David Holman had met her, when he was himself but a boy, and a very ardent friendship had sprung up between the two. As the years went by, no guest was welcomed more frequently and cordially to the elegant home than the young man, David Holman. He was not wealthy, it is true, but he belonged to one of the oldest of the fine old families, and was reported to have an unusually brilliant mind. The sort of man, Mr. Brownlee was fond of saying, who is sure to make his mark in the world as soon as he gets beyond the indiscretions of youth. Moreover, he was fine-looking, had polished manners, and was always well-dressed. What mattered it that there were whispers of his being a trifle fast? That belonged to those aforesaid indiscretions of youth. He was certainly charming in conversation. What more should a family desire who were not themselves deeply interested in religion, and who liked nothing better than being entertained? that his beautiful niece miriam was the special attraction to his home mr brownlee seemed to know and to offer no objection at least when his wife hinted at possible complications he replied that young women in these days knew how to take care of themselves in such matters and he would trust miriam where he wouldn't himself she certainly might form worse friendships for life than one with the holman family no syllable could be breathed against them or their ancestors and david was smart enough to make his way in the world and sharp enough not to bring discredit on the honored family name yes he knew he was inclined to be rather too gay young men just out of college were liable to make that mistake but david was too level-headed and had had too good a backing for generations to go far astray he would trust him and he did trust him, until David walked nearer the edge of ruin than any of them realized. The past, with all its opportunities and possibilities, and almost infinite blunders, came back in vivid clearness to the young man who sat once more opposite a picture on the wall that he used often to study while waiting. Looked at from one point of view, what an eternity of years separated him from those periods of waiting! His face burned again, as it had often before, over the vivid memory of that evening when, for the first time in his life, he had appeared in society sufficiently under the influence of liquor to be, not brilliant, but silly. He recalled as distinctly as though it were an event of yesterday some of his words. They were not so glaringly improper as they might have been, but sufficiently so to cause Mrs. Brownlee's laugh to be very constrained, and her look plainly said that she was not quite sure whether to laugh or frown. He blessed the memory of Mr. Brownlee, because he had realized his condition and ordered him from the house before Miriam appeared. But of course it had all been explained to her. Now, after the lapse even of so many years, could she help thinking at once of that last time? He had caught a single glimpse of her on that evening long ago, as she flitted through the hall just as he mounted the piazza steps. He had heard her silvery laugh in response to some sally of her boy cousins, then she had vanished up the stairs, and the unexpected years had stretched between them. And she was the woman whom he had hoped to make his wife. 
long before this date on which he sat waiting and wondering whether she would even give him audience he had planned to have been settled in a beautiful home of his own of course his career in life was to be eminently successful he had always planned that he meant to surround her with fully as many comforts and luxuries as she found in her uncle's home there were times when his ambition and imagination carried him far beyond such modest elegance and made a very palace for his queen on that ill-fated night before he took that second glass of liquor he had planned to see miriam alone and learn definitely from her own lips that she understood him and was ready to wait for him he remembered that he had felt very little fear as to what her answer would be she had seemed to be entirely frank in her appreciation of him despite the ugly stories concerning his habits which were more or less afloat he thought of the stories then he remembered and blushed over them and assured himself that if miriam's answer to his appeal was what he believed it would be it should mark an entirely new era in his life he would break from ever with the unsafe associates he had followed into danger and give himself seriously to the work of building up an entirely different reputation he owed that to miriam he told himself and so sure had he been of her answer to the question he meant to ask that he had said as he lifted that fatal glass of liquor to his lips boys i'm going to reform this is to bid you good-bye it is my last glass the boys had shouted over what they looked upon as a good joke but the words had been ominously true no drop of liquor since that hour had passed david holman's lips it seems natural to speak of that as the fatal glass under its influence the young man went out to an experience of long slow torture that had seemed to him a hundred times worse than death and the only door of escape at the end he had supposed to be the door of death yet if he had seen the map of his life spread out before him it is possible that he would have had occasion to go on his knees in gratitude to god for being left to drink that last glass since he would not be led in any other way a merciful god led him through fire but his resolution to reform sitting there waiting after the furnace was behind him david holman smiled gravely over the memory of his weak resolve and realized how little it had meant on the lips of one who could toy with it as he had done the weary years had moved slowly on and miriam brownlee with those words left unsaid that were to have held her to him was free to do as she would and was miss brownlee still and at last at last he was sitting in that well-remembered spot waiting for her not with the old words trembling on his lips he had no sense of assurance now he felt that he would not be surprised nor have reason to complain even though she refused to come in response to his card he had forfeited the right to consideration from her long ago yet her uncle had forgiven him more than once he had brought baskets of lovely flowers which he said the ladies sent david as he fingered the delicate blooms had felt in his soul that miriam had sent them it was like her and the flowers were like her delicate and pure and beautiful in his direst pain those flowers had comforted him but mr brownlee was gone and any lingering hope that his friends might have felt that david holman would be among them again 
had died long ago. He had gone as completely out of the world as though the grave had closed over him. Even the name of Miriam Brownlee had not been mentioned to him for years. Frances had dropped it entirely, at first because she realized that the mention excited her patient. Afterwards, when Miriam had left the neighborhood and returned to her own home, it was easy for the girl to forget her. She hoped that her brother had done so. David, as he went back over all these experiences, knew that he had not forgotten. Is it any wonder that, under such unusual circumstances, he felt his heart giving great throbs of anticipation, or of apprehension he hardly knew which? Suddenly there was a rustle of drapery near at hand, a flutter of ribbons, a vision as of something wonderfully fair and familiar withal, and Miriam Brownlee stood before him. End of chapter 9